and welcome to the Pracademics podcast, where we aim to keep you informed, connected and inspired in the work that you do with children, young people and families that have been impacted by trauma. This podcast has been recorded on the traditional lands owned by the Jagara and the Turrbal people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and the emerging community leaders, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you may be listening to this podcast. In this episode today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Catherine Hines, who is a clinical psychologist, also with a PhD in neuroscience and EMDR consultant supervisor. And I'll be mining her brain over the next couple of episodes. Throughout this series, I've tried to play the role of the naive listener and ask Catherine all the questions that I had in the early years when she was supervising me. So in this episode, I asked her to explain what structural dissociation is, and she goes into why it's helpful to categorise emotional parts into two subgroups. Catherine also explains some of the important tips on how to work within this model of structural dissociation. So I have a question around dissociation because I think in the early days, or certainly before I met you, I really thought dissociation was essentially flashbacks. Yeah. There's a, so the way the way that I first learned about dissociation was sort of people getting vague or a flashback or maybe just a sense of unreality, right? Not the way that I understand it now. I think there are some confusing problems with terminology here where really the way that I talk about dissociation and the structural dissociation people talk about dissociation is it's a real umbrella term for a lot of things and I can recall Richard Cleft giving a presentation at ISSTD in Sydney showing that most of the measures of dissociation don't include questions on the agreed aspects of dissociation so there's a lot of confusion in this space so it makes sense that you're feeling confused so in terms of being able to use dissociation effectively in treatment. I think the important things to consider to make it useful in treatment are how do you recognize it when a client is presenting with it and what is it? So what it is, is excessive compartmentalization of experience. What do I mean? The two views that you have on a problem and how to behave around that problem are in conflict. That's really what we're talking about. So it would be someone who says something like, I am coping just fine at work and wakes up and feels a total dread every day about going to work. But those two things are not communicating with each other. That's a dissociation. So it's the word dissociation literally means unassociated, disassociation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's those things that we're looking for. So how you recognize it in a client is sometimes a flashback, which is a loss of connection to the present and an over connection to a memory. It can be that vagueness, right? A a disconnection from the present and a kind of blanking out or excessive focus on internal experience rather than the conversation you're theoretically having with your therapist. It can also be internal conflict, right? Like, So you're telling me that work is going really well. Yeah, it is. And the client looks completely anxious or full of dread, right? There's something going on that isn't being connected. 
So continuing to play the role of the naive listener, I asked Catherine to explain about the concept of structural dissociation. So structural dissociation is a model um, developed by Kathy Steele, Emma Vanderhart, Suzette Boone, and um, Albert Neuenhaus. And it's a very complicated model and then in some ways a very simple model. <laughs> and one of the reasons that uh, my therapeutic work draws most heavily on that model is that it's really talking about what's going on in the brain. So it's not a sort of psychological theory. It's a brain-based development that really pays close attention to what we know about brain science at this point. So in the model of structural dissociation, they, I guess, separate the mind into two parts if you have straightforward axis one post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, so you've got what they call an apparently normal part who seems okay and is getting on with life. This is what PTSD is episodic, isn't it? You're not constantly traumatized, but you have moments where you're flashing back to or disturbed by what happened. But you also have moments, oasis moments, where you're feeling more comfortable. The oasis moments are the ANP, the apparently normal part. And then you've got an emotional part, which is, which is an action system from the limbic system that you're stuck in. So in the instance of, for example, someone had an accident, they might feel like they're going to die and they feel really anxious. That's the emotional part. But the rest of the time, when that's not activated in their neurology, they kind of know they're okay and they're getting on with life. But importantly, there's an antagonism between these two parts and that's what perpetuates the trauma. The antagonism is the apparently normal part doesn't want to know or remember or deal with that accident and the emotional part is stuck in it, right? So the way that Kathy Steele describes this is the mind is split into too much, the emotional part, and too little, the apparently normal part. So that's the case with simple post-traumatic stress disorder. When the trauma is more complex, so maybe there were multiple incidents, or maybe the incidents occurred throughout development, so the brain evolved or developed with lots of adversity, and also that poor attunement was present, so there wasn't a healthy, friendly, consistently available adult to help the child make sense of what was overwhelming. If that's occurred, then you would get into a situation where you have multiple emotional parts, not just one. And in really complex cases where the demands of the environment are very inconsistent in different contexts, you can have multiple apparently normal parts as well, so different modes of being um, functioning. That That's DID, that's dissociative identity disorder when you have multiple ANPs. Um, so that's sort of the model of structural dissociation in a nutshell. And the way I work, I add a few wrinkles uh, by subcategorizing emotional parts. They do that as well in the model, but I uh, I think that there's a if you divide it if you divide the emotional parts into two categories, it really makes your treatments a lot more focused. What are those categories? So, I think I've a distinction between emotional parts that store trauma, so and I call those emotional parts, and then protector parts. Other people have used that language, so Jim Knight calls them defenses. IFS, internal family systems, they call them protectors. So I just use protectors because I don't want to get confused with the complexities of psychoanalytic defenses, which I'm not very well informed about, but they are kind of defenses. So protector parts are parts whose job it is to suppress the manifestation of the trauma. 
right? So if you've had a lot of trauma and you don't want to know because it's too much and nobody's helped you deal with it, you've got to have some ways of not having it interrupt into your apparently normal part. And that's what the protector parts do. So they come in different flavors and varieties. Jim Knight argues they come in, in, in three different flavors. So there's avoidant defenses like denial or numbing, stuff like that. Shame-based defenses. Shame is a very effective way of suppressing whatever emotion is being felt. And idealization defenses where you're magnifying the good, right? And so perfectionism is a kind of idealization defense. And sometimes there's an idealization of parents. Um, no, they were great. They're wonderful. When actually that's a side of them but no, no, nobody's perfect right and so those are how he defines those three categories of protector parts that suppress the limbic parts from intruding on functioning okay so thank you for listening to the first part of the very wide-ranging conversation that I had with Catherine I'll be sharing more of Catherine's insights in the following podcasts as we dive deeper into this idea of treating complex trauma and dissociation. So subscribe to our episodes to make sure that you find out when they drop and uh, keep in touch by following us on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Also, if you're interested in knowing the strategies that both Catherine and I teach in practice to improve safety and stabilization skills when we're working with someone with complex trauma, you can download our free guide in the show notes. So that outlines three easy ways that you can improve safety and stabilization skills in the work you do with people that have experienced complex trauma. Thanks for listening and I hope to catch you in the next episode. Thank you.